This AIM Hometown Innovations podcast is sponsored by American Structure Point. With 550 experts working in-house across 11 disciplines, American Structure Point's innovative, award-winning team understands how to move your project from concept to completion. Our services include engineering and infrastructure, architecture and interiors, planning and economic development, investigative services, and IT solutions. We are proud to partner with AIM. Connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit StructurePoint.com to learn more. American StructurePoint continually strives to improve the quality of life for our communities and our people. Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. This podcast is designed to offer insights, best practices, and innovative solutions for the challenges facing Hoosier cities and towns. Each edition will offer ideas and inspiration while showcasing the talent and commitment of Indiana's local leaders. Enjoy the program. Hi, I'm Jennifer Simmons with AIM. Welcome to the Hometown Innovations Podcast. And joining us today is Kathy Gross, Mayor of Monticello, Indiana. Kathy, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Jennifer. It's great to be with you again. The last time you were on the podcast, um, we talked about the reopening of Indiana Beach. It had recently come under new ownership. Um, That's actually been about two years now, it looks like. Um, How's that going? Um, It has been coming up on two years. And wow, what a two years it's been. Um, Gene Staples, of course, purchased Indiana Beach and brought it back to the family-owned atmosphere. It had been, um, along with partnerships with the county. He has done an amazing job, uh, brought it back to a a more family-style, cleaner, uh, more roller coasters, uh, much more attendance than we've seen in the past 15 or 20 years. So we're very excited for another season. kicking off yet this summer. Also, I'll do a shameless plug for the Northern Indiana Mayor's Roundtable. We will be hosting that on June 24th here at Indiana Beach at the ballroom. So uh, we're so excited that we have this amazing community partner and attraction right in our own backyard. So thank you. Yes, they're doing great. Yeah, I have, I've told you this. We I have a family in Monticello. I have a long history coming up there in the summer and going to Indiana Beach. I've visited the park under new ownership, so I agree. It's it's so exciting um, for the community. So glad you were able to save the park um, in the taco stand, of course. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, we have what we found is um, more and more people came back to Indiana Beach, but they also, especially those of us of a certain age, remembered the downtown differently prior to the tornado and those things. So um, we're, you know, we're just excited that downtown is progressing in a manner uh, that we can complement Indiana Beach and create even a longer stay for our guests and a higher quality of life for our residents. 
So. Yep. And that's, that's a good segue into our topic for today, which is your recently renovated and uh, reopened city hall. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess at this point, you spoke to the AIM Ball State Mayor's Institute about your new city hall. And when you did that, you kind of went through a really interesting history of how you got to this place and some of the challenges that you were attempting to address with the with the renovations and the and um, sort of reimagining of this old old building. Do you want to kind of go through that history a little bit and, and help everyone understand? Um, it's it's actually pretty exciting to see how things evolved. This building um, that we now call City Hall actually was the original City Hall built in 1904. It housed City Hall, the, the town judge, and a, a horse-drawn fire apparatus uh, for a total volunteer fire department. Um, and this building actually went through, you know, from 1904 till 1917, I'm sorry, till 2017, a whole series of um, renovations. So. Eventually, it ended up in the early uh, 20-teens, if you will. It ended up all fire department. And uh, the upstairs housed our bunks for our, our full-time firefighters and their living quarters. And then we had our four ambulances and four engines housed here. In um, 2015, Mayor Houston um, I worked with the council and we, and actually with the county, and that's a whole nother story, but that's kind of another success story. But we built a new fire station and our fire department moved out on 6th Street, which left this building empty. Okay, fast forward a few years and the community has always talked, always, at least as long as I can remember, 50 years or more about how unfortunate it is that there's never been access to the Tippecanoe River to take advantage of that resource for, for water sports and fishing and canoeing and kayaking from the downtown. Um, actually, um, because of the way the trees and brush has grown along the hillsides, if you didn't live here, you may not have even been sure you were on a river. So also, um, while the community's been talking about that, we've never really had an arts commission. We've talked about it. We have amazing artists. We have a truly engaged community, but never did anything just coalesce and come together. So um, with the help of our redevelopment commission, and local funding through patronacy and crowdfunding, we were able to um, earn or fundraise enough money to call what we call pre-river walk. And that will be the development and is the development of a um, plaza that overlooks the water with a deck and um, a, a pavilion so that people can actually see the water and understand how we're going to move forward with a river walk. Um, 
So while that was going on and we were fundraising for that and things were being talked about for the Arts Commission, um, we, we didn't know how or where we were going to do that, where we were going to get the money. And if we did, how could we connect the, the actual hub of downtown, our courthouse and city offices with that Riverwalk? How do we make that um, connection? Well, then COVID comes and um, that changed the world for everyone. But for us, we were in a, an older building, not older than this one, but a less spacious building. And even when we could meet in person again, we couldn't because we couldn't even, it was so small, we could not maintain social distancing for our department heads or our council. So now what are we gonna do? We depended on the, the kindness of other governing bodies and partners. Um, but then the council and I got to talking and the city had this building city here empty. We had put out RFPs for it. We really couldn't get a lot of interest. And we thought, well, wonder what it would cost to renovate and would we have the space? And that's where the CARES Act came in. Because of the CARES Act, we were able to fund a design. And when our city council saw how, well, everything's affordable in quotes, right? <laughs> but it wasn't as um, cost prohibitive as we thought it would be. They gave the go ahead to go ahead and renovate this big old space in five, in five phases. Phase one was the creation of the city council chambers in city hall. And um, that happened um, very, really very quickly. All of this happened quickly because COVID hit in March of 2020 and we were moved in in July of 2021. So renovations of this old building in 15 months during a pandemic is just um, unheard of. And I, I attribute all of that to the strong partners we have. So phase was, was our phase one was our council chambers, and that increased our room size by three times. So now we also, not only do we have elbow room, but we have more advanced technology, and um, it's just a much more welcoming space because this is the people's building, and they need to be able to come here and feel comfortable. Phase two was completed at the same time, and that is uh, the mayor's office and an amazing conference room. We're currently working on phase three, our clerk treasurer's office. We anticipate him moving in and his team yet this summer. Phase four is the old engine bay. And that's kind of how all of this wrapped itself up together, if you will. This, uh, we now call it the West Phase, and it is predominantly used for the arts. So um, when we're having an artistic event, if you will, it's called Arts in the Bay, and we can open up those big old bay doors. And we partnered 
with the local Rotary Club, who at no cost to us came in and really cleaned it up, that took things off the walls, filled holes, painted, put up new washboard. Um, and then a local pressure cleaning company volunteered to clean the floors. As you might imagine, an engine bay had really dirty floors. But so they cleaned that. And that on, on December 3rd, um, we hosted our first Arts in the Bay. Um, that followed the official first meeting of our Monticello Arts Beat, our first commission on the arts that established themselves in September. And by December, already had a fundraiser and three artists booked for the art space. So all of that has kind of coalesced so that as work develops on the Riverwalk, we are one and a half blocks from that space. So people can bring their motorized, non-motorized uh, vessels. They can dock them. They can walk up the Riverwalk eventually, come downtown for music in the Bay, arts in the Bay. Um, and eventually we hope to have a commercial test kitchen because we have a lot of young entrepreneurs that um, we really believe they probably could do very well um, with their culinary skills and arts if they only have a place to try them out. Mm -hmm. So we want to use it as a restaurant incubator and provide them the commercial test kitchen. And then too, they don't have to invest until they know they can make it and that we can have all kinds of different cuisines downtown and just truly make it uh, a downtown hub for all of the arts and all of our people. I know you probably have other questions. <laughs> no, maybe I get on a roll, so I apologize. <laughs> well, no, it's funny because as you were talking there at first, I looking through some materials, hearing you talk, I wrote down, how did they do this so quickly? And then you talked about it like, wow, um, yeah. that turnaround time is pretty impressive. And then to look at the turnaround time of establishing the Arts Commission and having the first show, it's just kind of, you guys don't mess around. Well, and it's kind of one of those um, goosebump moments when all these things kind of come together, you know, you just, you kind of shake your head. And even though the Arts Commission, there'd been some conversation in late summer, like August, what really kicked, kicked them into high gear was when Governor Holcomb's wife requested an ornament from every county to be displayed on the state house tree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we have this brand new arts commission filled with artists and they designed uh, the ornament for that tree. And they said, well, wait a minute, why don't we have replicas made of that and sell that as a fundraiser for our new arts beat and it just grew on top of each other and so now annually they have plans to design a new ornament every year to sell to the community so all of that That's because great. we got this big empty building right and right. and um what i'm most proud of is that 
Not only is it a true partnership between our streets of Monticello Association, all of our philanthropic groups, all of our departments, but we also have honored its history as one of the oldest buildings and one of the few buildings that survived the tornado. So yeah. we truly, truly, um, it is an, a downtown anchor for us. Yeah, and you touched on the quality of life in your community when you were talking about Indiana Beach and the importance of weaving all of that together. You have this great amenity in the beach, but there's more to do. There's more to Monticello than Indiana Beach. It's just such a great compliment though. And, and it makes me think a little bit about the conversations we've had the last couple of months when the, with the legislature in session around the business personal property tax and how that revenue is so closely linked to quality of place in Indiana. The fact that we can't do these kinds of things, we can't build these quality communities without funding. Um, so talk just a little bit more about sure. quality of place and how you make that a priority in your decision-making. It sounds like it's clearly a priority here. How do you right. weave that into everything you do? Well, we absolutely, everything we do depends upon the revenue streams and our ability to communicate our what our community tells us they need, right? If it's just my idea, that it's not probably going to fly, but if the community supports it, that's the way it works. So my biggest and best example um, for that pertains directly to the Riverwalk and this building, because one of the things we knew we had to do was to establish a revenue, revenue source moving forward for the development of the Riverwalk. Even though we don't, we're paying as we go, in these phases for City Hall. Riverwalks cost an awful lot of money, especially when you do it the right way and make sure they're ADA accessible for everything from piers to kayak and canoe launches and all of that. So one of the first things we did was create or expand our TIF district to encompass part of our downtown and the Riverwalk. Additionally, we expanded it down a manufacturing corridor as well. And those incremental financing funds will create that sustainability that we absolutely have to have. And it will also provide us with match money when we apply for economic development and tourism and land and water conservation grants and trail grants because this river walk isn't just going to be walk along the river, turn around and come back. Our bigger plan is to take it all the way out to Indiana Beach and back through town down to um, our southernmost parks, because we have seven parks in Monticello. We're a little town of 5,400, but we have parks along the water. We, we will have a river walk, we have a skate park, a nature center. We have all these things. And currently they're, they're little satellites. Well, we want to create that, that highway, if you will, that will connect them all together. 
And we believe, and I think the data shows from what I learned at Mayor's Institute last week, is right. that this is key. This is key for um, um, not even uh, growing, but just as a rural community staying stable, right? right. Um, we, we, we're never going to be Indianapolis or Chicago, but we don't want to be, but we're close enough that you could live here, and especially now with remote working, right. that you can live here and still have all those amenities. And that kind of takes me back to phase five of this building, and that will be the renovations of the old living space on the second floor. We hope to make that a, a co-working space with an exterior elevator. So we kind of wrap the whole thing up. Um, yeah. But those TIF dollars, with this, considering the lost revenue had that uh, business personal property tax passed, um, that that would decimate any future sustainability and development. So I I really I I believe that it's probably not a dead issue. So I think it for me anyway. Um, I acknowledge that our legislators believe they're doing this to keep us competitive, and I so appreciate that, and we do have to see that whole big picture, but being competitive at, to the detriment of local municipalities is, um, it, it doesn't seem to mesh. It seems like we need to come together and acknowledge that, but they, they, we need to find a complete uh, revenue replacement for that. But I'll get yeah. off that soapbox. No, that's right. And that, you know, we're certainly grateful that uh, the legislature adjourned this year without changing the revenue stream in terms of the business personal property tax, but I couldn't agree more. It's a conversation we're going to have to keep having and yeah. keep making that case for why, if that is something they a policy decision for down the road, not really our beef, um, but if they do that, it just needs to be replaced by something. Absolutely. And, and think creatively. I mean, yeah. who right. knows? I mean, I, I, the great thing about um, respectful discourse mm -hmm. is that's where you find solutions, right? And yeah. I, I saw that in this session, and I believe we'll see it moving forward because we have truly committed public servants at every level that truly want to do what's best. Yeah, I think that's well said, but I, I saw that in the session for sure, more than any session I can remember, that sort of close collaboration and the fact that you're sharing, um, sharing our story and having that um, collaboration with lawmakers sort of at its best, this session yes. on a lot of yeah. issues which is was great to see in today's environment. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It gives you hope. It's that little ray of, you know, we, we can make this work yeah. if we all have pure hearts. That's right. Um, before we close, um, just looking at your project and all that we've talked about today, and you mentioned the Mayor's Roundtable series that you attend. Um, but thinking beyond that, there's a lot of towns that can benefit from some of the things you've done, not just cities, a lot of town managers, council members. 
what is something you've learned from this process that you'd like to pass along or you think that others could benefit from? I think um, number one is if your community tells you they want something and they keep telling you that, then the odds are pretty good they'll support it. And if you find a way for them to support it, like we did with, you know, initially our uh, plaza was just gonna be, let's get them to look at the water and see if they want to engage. And the community just overwhelmingly said, we don't, we're not content to look at it. We want to be um, down there at it. So, um, so we're hopeful we, we can get that funding wrapped up in the next year or so and actually start the development of that river box. So I would say number one, if your community tells you, talks to you, shares with you, listen. Number two, I hate these words, but we've never done it that way before, that then, then you're never gonna get anything you need because life isn't what it is today. It, it isn't what it was yesterday and what it won't be tomorrow. So, so, you know, and golly, engage the young people, honest to goodness, the high school, yeah. the, the college grads that come home, um, and those that don't, but they come home and visit mom and dad and rent a place on the lake for two weeks and and they want to see you prosper too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then don't take no for an answer, respectfully. <laughs> right? <laughs> you can say, oh, well, we, we may agree to disagree, but if you can't help me, we'll go a different route. And um, we can, yeah. So, um, yeah, I've always said, what's the worst they can say? No, you're no, you're no worse off than you were when you picked up the phone or had that meeting. Yeah, so. that's right. That's right. Well, thank you for joining us. I always look forward to having you on the podcast and we'll check back in with you soon, hear how um, things are going with your, your coming phases of all of these projects and look forward to talking to you on the podcast in the future. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you, Jennifer. This AIM Hometown Innovations podcast was sponsored by American Structure Point.